Open your Bibles tonight to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 tonight. As followers of Jesus, we are collectively called disciples. In Scripture, we are told our goal as believers is to personally grow as disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're to be growing as disciples. And then in doing so, we are commanded in the Great Commission to go and make more disciples. That is what we're instructed to do as followers of Christ. Perhaps you've heard me say our mission as a church is to make disciples who will make disciples. If you want to know what we're about as a church, our goal is to be a disciple, to grow as a disciple, and then to make disciples who will go out and then make more disciples. Well, in light of all of that, here is the question for tonight. What makes a disciple? And then the follow-up question to that, are you a disciple? So again tonight, we're going to look at what makes a disciple? What is the criteria? What is the thing that makes a disciple? And then the, the main question is, are you a disciple? Tonight our message is entitled, The Dividing Line of Discipleship. The Dividing Line of Discipleship. Tonight we're in John chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 60 through the end of the chapter, verse 71. John chapter 6, verse 60 through 71. John 6, verse 60 to the end of the chapter, verse 71. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 60, God's Word says this, Therefore, many of His disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight, we're thankful for this night. We're thankful for 33 nights to hear your word, to hear your truth. We're thankful for this night that we can gather in freedom and hear your voice proclaimed. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that it would be a 
tremendous night. I pray that it would be a, a supernatural night. And I pray, Lord, that it would be you that we would hear tonight. That it would be you that we meet with tonight. And I pray that we would be changed tonight, that we would be encouraged tonight, that we would be empowered tonight in the voice of our master, in the voice of our Lord. Lord, I pray if there's one and maybe several, maybe many that do not know you, I pray in the hearing of the good news of a risen Savior that this night, the 33rd night, might be the night of their salvation. Lord, we do come and we just exalt you. We do thank you. We do praise you and we give this night to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In John chapter 6, we find Jesus at the pinnacle of his popularity. Now, if we were to track the course of his earthly ministry, we're going to find at this point he is at the pinnacle of his popularity. There are large crowds that are seeking him. Uh, they are in Capernaum. There is a large crowd now with him. Uh, in this setting here in Capernaum, he has unleashed really a barrage of astounding, deep truths about himself and about his mission. Now, if you look at this sixth chapter, really, it is unbelievable how profound it is. It is amazing, astonishing, the things that he says here in just the sixth chapter. In this chapter, he has told them that he is the work of God. They have said, what must we do to please God, to work the works of God, and he has told them salvation is accomplished not in their work, but it is finished in his work. That's what he's told them. That is a radical truth that he has told them. He has told them in this chapter that he is the bread of life, that, that in him, in receiving him in faith, there is eternal life. Now, that is a radical truth. That is a deep understanding. He, making that analogy, has said that to receive him is to symbolically eat his flesh and drink his blood. Now, he is pointing to the reality that he will sacrifice his body, that he will shed his blood as the payment for sin. Now, he has told them he is the Christ, that he is the bread of life, that in him is life. Well, now he has told them that it will be the sacrifice of his life that will secure their salvation. That will be received in faith. Now that for sure, again, is a radical truth. It is worth noting, it's important to see all the way through really the entire gospel, but here in the sixth chapter, we see the gracious call of God has been to believe all the way through with each new teaching with each episode, he has been calling them to believe. Believe and be saved. Believe and have eternal life. The call has been to believe. All right, verse 59 is where we're going to begin tonight. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. All right, verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Now, the word difficult here in the original language, in the Greek, it means harsh, 
It means hard. It means abrasive. And so they are saying this is a hard statement. It is a difficult statement. Who can receive such a statement? Now, there are many who believe this is talking about Jesus' call to eat his body and drink his blood. There's many that read that, and they would say, well, that was too strange of a thing to say. That was too weird of a thing to say, and they misunderstand that. I believe that. And so they're they're saying, in, in light of that weird statement, who can understand that? Who can listen to this? Now, I would tell you there could have been some that misunderstood that. I don't think so. I don't think that is what the hard statement was. Now, we'll keep going and we'll get to it. I don't think that's what it's talking about there. Verse 61. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? Now, first off, understand the word disciple here is in this case talking about the broad group that are following Jesus. Evidently, they have heard something or or they have seen something, and for whatever reason, they have decided to follow Jesus. And it's a large group of folks. And so for whatever reason, they have decided to join in this crowd following Jesus. Jesus, And that's what it's referring to when it says disciples here. They are, they are under his, his leadership as his disciples. It is talking about a broad group. Now, the Bible says Jesus is aware that they are grumbling at the difficulty of his statement. At what he has said, they are grumbling. And so he says to them, does this cause you to stumble? Now, I want you to see this. Stay with me. Some of these, because Jesus gave them food, they are hoping he's going to be their provider. And you remember the count not that long ago, he's fed the great multitude. And because they received the food, they're following Jesus. He's going to give us all the things that we need. Some of these that Jesus healed, and maybe they healed, he healed somebody they knew, they are hoping that Jesus is their healer. And so you know what? If we're with him, we're not ever going to be sick. We'll find healing in him. And so they're there because Jesus may be the healer. Some are there in this group, and they think Jesus is the new Moses. And they think they're hoping that, that he's going to be the new political leader. And just like Moses led them to, to, to flee that foreign country, Jesus will be a new political leader. And so that's why they are there. There's some, and they're there seeing a now national movement of pride. And they're hoping that Jesus will be their new king and we'll, we'll strike back against Rome and he'll be our king and lead us to do it. But Jesus has just told them that he is their savior and that by belief in him, they will be saved. Not of some work that they might take pride in, Now, not only that, Jesus has just told them that it is his flesh that will be given for their life. Verse 51 says that. He has told them that he is the Christ, yes, but that their life will come in his death. 
And that is the statement that I believe is too repulsive for them. That is the statement that I believe is unacceptable, that is too hard for them. A Savior that's a king, yes, they can go for that, but a Savior that is a lamb and will die for sin is too harsh of a statement for them. Folks, friends, I want you to think with me for a second. Think about this. We have a good gospel. We have a good gospel. But it's not a pretty gospel. It is not for saints. It is a gospel for sinners. It it is not for the good. The Bible says there aren't any. It is for the guilty. It is not a sterile, clean gospel. It is a, a bloody mess of a gospel. This gospel is good, but it's not a pretty gospel. This gospel requires a death so brutal. This gospel requires the innocent. Can you imagine the innocent to be slain for the guilty? That's not fair. This gospel requires pain and and anguish and suffering. And these folks understand that. You see, these folks wanted a king, not a martyr. They wanted a coronation, not a cross. They didn't like that. They wanted a revolution. They didn't want redemption, not like this, in the Savior's blood. And so it was too ugly for them. It was too coarse for them. It was too difficult. So Jesus says, does this truth cause you to misstep? Does this truth cause you to slow down? Are you throwing the brakes on? Does this truth cause you to stumble? Remember, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Christ crucified a stumbling block for the Jews. They didn't want a Savior like this. They didn't want a king like this. In their pride, they wanted a king that would reign. They didn't want a Savior to die. It was too difficult for them. All right, verse 62. What then, if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. Now what Jesus says here in verse 62, if me as the bread of life coming down from heaven has you upset, if me as Christ incarnate coming down from heaven is too hard for you, what are you going to do when you see me ascend and go back to heaven? This had to further anger them. Verse 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Now, Jesus says, here's some great truths in verse 63. He says, it is the Holy Spirit that gives life. He says, it is God that saves us. Flesh, man, we can do nothing in the matter of salvation. He says, these words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Now, I don't want you to miss this. I want you to see this. He says, these words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Paul will later say that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Church, listen to me. It is the message of the gospel 
that are the words of the Spirit. It is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that are the words of life. Listen to me. Are you hearing me this evening? It is the gospel that changes hearts. It is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that changes lives. It is the gospel, the only thing that can change eternities. That is why we preach the gospel. That is why we uphold the gospel. That is why we preach for a 100 days. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. It is the gospel that we proclaim. Yet, verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. Jesus has spoken the words of life. Jesus has spoken the words of the Spirit. Jesus himself has, and he says, but some do not believe. That's the testimony, but some do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that were not going to believe. The Bible says that. Jesus knows And it says, and who it was that would betray him. Now, I want you to think about this. That's probably talking about Judas. For sure, it includes Judas. But did you know there might be some in this crowd that are going to yell, crucify him? They're going to be some that hear the good news of a risen Savior. They're going to hear the good news of Jesus. And they're later going to join a crowd that will say, crucify him. So he knows there are some that would hear And he knew they would not believe. He knows there were some that would hear and they would even betray him. I want to point out two things here in that verse. First is this. Jesus knowing, now listen, that they would not believe does not mean that he caused them not to believe. Be sure and understand that. He foreknew, he knows They're not going to believe, but it doesn't mean that he causes them to not believe. And the second thing is worth noting is this. Jesus knowing that many will not believe, in fact, that many will even betray him, doesn't stop proclaiming the message. And I've seen that all the way through the gospel of, of John so far. He knows they're not going to receive him here. He goes there. He knows they're predisposed. They're not going to listen to him in his own hometown. He goes there anyway. He knows this area of Samaria is not going to receive him that well. He goes there anyway. He knows that many of them are not going to believe. It doesn't stop him from proclaiming the message. All right, verse 65. And he was saying, for this reason I've said to you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Now, I want you to stick with me on this verse. He says, for this reason, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Now, listen very carefully. There are some that would say that many don't believe in verse 64 because the Father didn't grant it in verse 65. And there's a lot of folks that say that. I I talked about the last couple nights. There's a growing number of folks that would say that. They didn't believe in 64 because he didn't grant for them to believe 
in 65. And, and they go back to this teaching that God didn't choose them. In fact, he doesn't choose most people. That God doesn't want them. In fact, he doesn't want most people. And God creates some people to be lost and to stay lost. No, see this. He calls all of them. He draws all of them. We saw that last night. We saw it the night before that in verse 44. And he says here in this verse, they have been allotted by the Father. They've been invited to come. They've actually heard the words of the Spirit. They've actually heard the words of life. They actually heard them from Jesus himself, and yet they do not believe. What Jesus is pointing out here is not that the Father didn't call, but that the people didn't believe. What Jesus is crying out against here in this verse is not the Father's finicky selection system, but the people's unbelief. This statement is too hard for them. It's not what they were looking for. This isn't the Messiah that they built up in their mind. And so they do not believe. He's crying out against their unbelief. Verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. There's a big point in verse 66. It says, as a result of this, Many, large number, most of them, withdrew. It means they pulled back. It means they left out. And they were not walking with him anymore. All right. Back to our talk of discipleship. See this tonight. Being a disciple doesn't mean being in the crowd. There's a lot of folks say, well, I've been in the crowd. I've been in this crowd a long time. We're, we're in this crowd. Being a disciple doesn't mean being in the crowd. Being a disciple doesn't mean listening to the message. Well, I heard the messages. I heard all the messages. I've been there and you can imagine all the sermons I've heard. Being a disciple doesn't mean listening to the message. Being a disciple doesn't mean liking the things of Jesus. Oh, I like the things that he does. Oh, I like the things that we receive. Oh, I like the things that he's promised. Being a disciple doesn't mean liking the things of Jesus. Being a disciple doesn't mean being known as a disciple. Shocker. Whether daddy was, whether family has been, well, I know that they are. They got a bumper sticker on their car. Being a disciple doesn't mean being known as a disciple. And when it wasn't about what they wanted, when it wasn't about what they would get, when it wasn't a political movement that would benefit them, when it wasn't the Messiah of their own making, but instead when it was about a Savior come to die for sinners that would have to be received in faith, they dropped out. Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? Or do you travel in the crowd? Do you listen to the sermons? Do you like the things of Jesus? Have you created a Messiah of your own making? 
Or is it about a Savior that comes for sin and dies for sinners that's received in faith? Are you a disciple? Verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? People are pouring away. Crowd is quickly dispersing. People are getting their stuff and some of them are down on the sea. They're loading their boats. We're going back where we came from. They're leaving in droves. They're walking off. The streets are full. The crowd is dispersing. Public opinions changed. It always does. Jesus turns to the 12 and it's no longer the the crowd that was once there. It's no longer the, 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 the loud, large crowd that was once there. But now it's this small group of 12. He says, you do not want to go away also, do you? Walking off, they're walking off. You do not want to go away also, do you? I want you to be sure of something. Jesus does not have forced followers. Do you know that? He never has. He never will. Jesus doesn't have hired guns. He doesn't have somebody, I need them and I got them and I've secured them. Jesus doesn't have hired guns. Jesus has a volunteer army and they will follow or not depending on their heart given to Christ. He doesn't have any forced followers. Are you gonna leave too? Is that what you want? Do you wanna leave too? He's not gonna force them. Verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Great words there from Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter stands there and he says, Lord, where would we go? Lord, where would we go from here? There's there's nowhere left to go. What are we going to go back to the world? Are we going to go back to our boats? Are we going to go back to the mess that we came out of? All the people are are streaming away and they're going back to their their empty pursuits and they're going back to to a hopeless life of empty hopes and they're walking away. And Peter says, Lord, where would we go? We have nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. Verse 69, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He says, we have believed and have come to know. That's the actual verb tense. We have believed and we have come to know. Now, the point of that is there is a place, there is a point of belief. There is a day when we believe but it also grows and it also gets set in stone and the foundation also gets stronger. And so, yes, we have believed, but we've also come to know. Peter says that you are the Holy One of God. You're the Holy One of God. In Matthew chapter 16, it says, you are the Christ Christ. 
the son of the living God. What words, what a declaration he says. Peter says, we believe and we have come to know that you are the one, that you are the promised one, that you are the perfect one, that you are the sent one, that you are the saving one, that you are the only one. He says, we've known you are the one. Friends, that is the dividing line of true discipleship. True discipleship, it is who you believe and who you have come to know Jesus to be. Here's the question tonight. Who's Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Is he your one? Is he your savior tonight? Is is he your only one tonight? Who is Jesus to you? Are you his disciple? Verse 70. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. Verse 71. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Again, in these two verses, it is a cry against unbelief. Did I not choose the 12 of you as my disciples? And yet even one of you seeing all of this, hearing all of this does not believe. The call of Jesus is believe. Tonight, are you his disciple? Have you trusted him with your salvation? Do you know who he is? Do you know who he claimed to be? Do you know he's the son of God come for sinners? Do you know that he died in your stead? Do you know who he is? Do you know? Have you followed the belief of your parents? Have you followed the the, the push of the culture? Do you know who Jesus is? Are you his disciple? Let's pray. Every Father, we come, we're thankful tonight for your truth. We're thankful tonight for your word, your message. We're thankful tonight for such a gracious, kind Savior. We're thankful tonight for hope. We can have a Savior by, by faith, not of any work, not of anything we must muster up. In your grace, Lord, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that tonight as as we hear this, that we are evaluating who are you to us? Do we know the truth of who you are? Have we received you as our Savior, the Lamb of God that carried our sin away, the risen Lamb that stands in victory? Are you our Savior? Are we your disciples? Lord, I pray that you've spoken. I pray that you continue to speak. I pray that we evaluate in true honesty tonight. I pray, Lord, for those that haven't followed you, trust, haven't named you as their Lord, haven't received peace and forgiveness and eternal life through you. I pray that tonight, this very night, would be that night. I pray, Lord, in in evaluating these words, that tonight would be that very night. I pray that they would turn to you, they would trust you and receive you tonight. Lord, I pray for us here that are disciples. I pray that we are in the process of growing a deeper foundation, a stronger foundation, that we're in the process of of being greater, stronger disciples. 
I pray that part of that would be that we try to reach out and make new disciples, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we just come and ask that, that you would move now in our time of invitation, our time of response. Pray that you'd be honored in, in what happens now. We give it to you. We trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our time together with a time of response, a time of responding to the truth of God's word. And I want to tell you the good news tonight is this. We have a Savior in Jesus. We have the forgiveness of our sin in Jesus. We have peace tonight in Jesus. And the call doesn't change the cause this. Trust him tonight. Turn to him tonight. Aren't you tired of the guilt of your sin, the condemnation, the weight of your sin? Trust Jesus tonight. He is gracious. He is kind. He is powerful. He will save you. Trust Jesus tonight. If you've made that decision, but you've never fought on believers' baptism tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to say, you know what? I want that testimony to stand. We want to celebrate that testimony as well. And so you would come during our time of invitation and say, yes, I want to be baptized. I want to show folks what I believe of our Savior, Jesus. I want that testimony to stand in obedience to what he said. You come tonight, if that's your decision, if you're looking for a church home and you believe God has led you here, you come on this night. Together, we'll, we'll bond together. We'll serve his cause for his glory. Maybe tonight on this 33rd night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come and some, something going on in your life, you want to bring it to him tonight in prayer, in humility at this altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me here at the front. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about, no one would head for an exit. Pray for those that are making decisions. As God has spoken to you tonight, if you have a decision to make, as we stand to sing, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here. You come on. I'll meet you here.